All right, welcome to the Fit Vegan Podcast. I'm your show host, Maxim Seguin, and I'm the founder and CEO of Fit Vegan Coaching, a company that is on a mission to help 10,000 people get lean, thrive, and reduce their risk of chronic illnesses by 2033 and a million by 2050. I believe that having a fit, healthy body in mind is the foundation to living an incredible life, and this is what little show will give you if you choose to listen and implement. Enjoy the episode and have a great day. All right. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Fit Vegan Podcast. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Bobby Sud. Bobby, how are you doing today, man? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, of course. Um, I know we're having dinner like a maybe like a few weeks ago when your yeah. brother was down in LA. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, for those of you guys that don't know Bobby, he's a filmmaker, he's a photographer, and I would think fair to say that you're animal activist as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. So I'm curious, I'm, when I was doing some research, a little bit more depth research on you, because I would say I know you for maybe like a year now, I think, when we first met. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So like what what came first? Was it filmmaking or, or veganism? Oh, it was filmmaking. Yeah. I uh, I, I went to, to Savannah College of Art and Design, and I majored in uh, filmmaking and specialized in environmental filmmaking. So that, okay. that came first, yeah. Okay. And so when did you become vegan in that? Uh, my brother and I went to Nepal. We, we were there for 12 weeks, uh, volunteering with a program with orphans. And, okay. uh, afterwards, uh, because, because it's primarily vegetarian there. Uh, yeah. I wasn't vegan at the time. My brother was, um, and I, I was feeling so much better afterwards, not just because of all the, like the incredible experience of working with children who change your perspective on life, you know, uh, but because of how much better I felt from basically being vegetarian for 12 weeks. And I had lost like 15 pounds or so doing that, not without, you know, just without even trying. Uh, and my brother asked me, Hey, why don't you come to move to LA and live with me and adopt my plant-based lifestyle and, and my plant-based diet? And, uh, I agreed. So, uh, that January of the next year, which I believe was 2014 or 2015, uh, I moved to LA and became plant-based for, for health reasons. Cause I was 300 pounds and type two diabetic and, you know, high cholesterol, hypertension, all this stuff that goes along with, you know, eating the standard American diet in excess. Yeah. So that, that came first. Okay. And so again, so you and you and Adam kind of had a similar situation when it came to health. And so yeah. how many, his was much more, much more extreme than mine because you throw in addiction and suicide attempts and things like that. So his was much more extreme and he did it, uh, on his own, so to speak, you know, he didn't have, uh, someone living with him, creating a fail proof environment for him that, that he did for me. Uh, yeah. So but the results, years... were, the results were the same. Yeah. So I was going to say like how many years before you did Adam make the change before he kind of helped you? At three years. Okay. So he's like well into it at that yeah. point. Yeah. Okay. And so how, so first of all, I'll talk about like Nepal. So I didn't know you guys were doing work like that before. Was that kind of like your first, I don't want to call that it was, missionary trip, but a kind of first trip you gave him back? Yeah. Um, no, my, Adam had done something in, in Africa with uh, the World Food Program uh, along with Whole Foods and my dad. Um, but I remember that year, uh, 
I was saying how I wanted to go, I wanted to travel. Uh, I didn't have a lot of money to travel with. Uh, and I found this program online, uh, GVI, Global Visions International. And I picked it because most of every dollar goes to the programs instead of going to pay salaries. Yeah. Um, and my brother said, oh, let's do that. You know, like, let's, let's make it, you know, let's go travel, but let's do that. Um, and yeah, we, it, it was the most, uh, one of the most life-changing experiences um, because the, the, the kids we worked with were like ages like five to 13. Um, okay. And they were all orphans of either circumstance or runaways from abusive situations. Um, and they're poor. And now poor in Nepal is not poor in the United States. It's not the same thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like poor in Nepal means, you know, you know, maybe you have a roof over your head, you know, but you don't have like running water or, or electricity or anything like that. And they were staying in an orphanage. So they had all of those things, but they had like one change of clothes, you mm -hmm. know, and no, no, nothing else, not like toys or anything. And um, I remember like we, we would get up every morning, we'd play soccer with them before school because they loved soccer, uh, even though myself, my brother, and most of the other people, the volunteering were terrible at soccer. <laughs> but uh, um, I remember I decided, I was like, let's go get them all like soccer jerseys, like soccer, like a matching soccer uniform that they can wear. Uh, and it cost us, we went into town, it cost like, there were seven of us, it cost us all like three dollars, three American dollars each, like nothing, like Nepal, everything in Nepal is cheap. And I remember the next day we gave it to them and it, it was like we had performed a miracle. You know, their, their reactions to seven people spending $3 on them just so that they can, like, just just for fun, right? It was like not in their wildest imaginations. But I never once, not in the 12 weeks we were there, saw them complain about anything, ever. Like, they were not concerned with what they didn't know they didn't have, you know? And that, that, that was just, that was life-changing. That, that must have been really rewarding. Was, was that your first experience in kind of like giving back into that, that, to level, that scale? Yeah. 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 Okay. Cause I know like from, you know, having met you a few times and kind of like doing a bit more research, like you're a very caring person. Um, yeah. so is that kind of where like originally most of it stemmed to want to do things on a greater scale? Um, that was, that was where like wanting that, like experiencing it started. I mean, I've always, I've always cared about giving back and helping people and, and, and I've always cared about, you know, the, the environment and plant and animals and things. And, but, uh, on that scale, experiencing what it's like to like, to actually have an impact on people, uh, in a meaningful way, um, that's more than just donating or, or spending an afternoon doing something, you know, was, that was the first time. Yeah. And, yeah. I guess yeah. you could say that's where it started. Yeah. And what was the organization called? Just so people can look into it. It's called GVI Global Visions International. Okay, and they, they and it's have like programs dot org. The world. Dot org, I assume. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. I'll look into it. I've been wanting to to do something like that with Ivy, um, so we'll have to wait like a year or so until I'm allowed to leave the states <laughs> to go and oh, do okay. that. But I'll, yeah, yes. yeah. Well, we'll we'll definitely look into it. So we'd love to talk about like that that plan based transition that you kind of went through with Adam, like how. How was that? How was that structured for you? 
That was, I mean, it was the, it was a whole food, plant-based, low-fat, you know, uh, diet. Um, and it was basically like, uh, just like my brother, I'm somebody who, if I find something that I like, I, I can eat that pretty much every day, you know, which yeah. is good because my menu wasn't very big uh, when I first switched to a plant-based diet because I didn't know what, what I liked or didn't like. Because my diet before was like cheeseburgers, pizzas, and, you know, sandwich turkey sandwiches and stuff uh and so it was i would just have like these giant like broccoli and cauliflower and bean bowls you know uh oatmeal every every morning for breakfast oatmeal and fruit that's that hasn't changed and uh i remember like i lost 40 pounds in the first month wow Uh, I, i reversed my diabetes in six weeks and then reversed all my chronic uh illness over the course of that, that year, including over a hundred pounds. That's crazy. So how old were you when you started that, that journey? You're 33. Okay. Damn. That's, that is like a life. You're going to be 33 at 32. Okay. So, but that's still like, that's still really young. So that's a, that's a life changing amount of, of weight loss and like health changes at like a really good time. Yeah. Right. So you get to kind of enjoy the, the rest of the, the thirties basically. Yeah. Um, so how many years ago was that that you kind Nine of that ago. you've been vegan? Okay, okay. So we've been vegan about around the same time, ultimately. Uh, back when it wasn't as cool, when there wasn't as many options in the grocery store. Right. Um, I'm sure it was better in LA than in my small town, but you know, for me, it was like I don't know if you guys had these. It was tofu flavored banana. I was like, no, sorry, it was, a, it was like tofu that tasted like banana. That was like the dessert. That's all we had in our town. No, I, no, I haven't had that. It sounds okay. terrible. It was terrible, but that's all I had. That's the only vegan tree we had. <laughs> um, so, so that's great. So, I, obviously, you were exercising while you were doing that, or did not you kind first. of like slowly add that after? Not yeah, not at first, um, because I was in high school. I was a two sport athlete. Um, I played, I played tennis. I played lacrosse for a little bit, but I broke my arm and I didn't get to play this season. So, uh, I mean, okay. I'm, barely a two-sport athlete you know but i was varsity tennis so uh and so i was always i was fit until my weight got out my health got out of control and so i was embarrassed uh to go to the gym at first uh i was embarrassed for like i i was going to embarrass myself on like what my what it was going to look because i didn't know what what the gym looked like as someone who was out of shape you know i I didn't i didn't want to know like how how poor my my physical conditioning was you know i was too embarrassed to see that at first so it wasn't until i'd lost 40 pounds that i went to the gym okay yeah are you okay if i dive into that a little bit into sure, like yeah. the because i'm very obviously I've, i think the max i've ever went was 240 pounds which is like 50 pounds more than i am now and i was like out of breath i was really i was really heavy um but i always went to the gym because i was hooked on it from like the early on early days so was it more, what was hard going to the gym? It was more like how it would feel because you didn't know what it was like to work out at that weight or how it would be perceived. It was more like being, uh, my own toughest critic sort of like I grew up with, with extremely critical parents. And so I have, I have, an, I, I, I'm very critical of myself. Um, it's something that I've been working on for a long time. Um, but, uh, I have a hard time praising myself in general, 
you know, I, I usually focus on what I'm doing wrong and not what I'm doing right. And so I, I didn't want to go to the gym and just everything be wrong, you know, and just, and just have this, this, my own, my own critical eye just going, God, you're, you're really bad at that. And you're really bad at that. And look at, look at how, look at how far we've fallen and things like that. Yeah. Well, I think what I find interesting is like, you can, you can praise yourself for the good or criticize yourself for the bad, but in some odd, weird way, they still both move you forward. You just feel shittier on one side and better on the other side, but they somehow yeah. both kind of move the needle forward. Yeah. Like, um, to an extent, I think, uh, like, I don't think that critical, like negative reinforcement creates lasting momentum. Yeah. No, <laughs> not eventually you get tired of it. So like, yeah. how did you overcome that? Like when in that, was it like you mentioned losing the 40 pounds that got well, you that back to the place? And like... then, uh, you know, I just, I had to, I had, I had to adapt this, this view on, uh, what I was doing because I had tried diets before and they, they, it was always about how much, you know, how much I hated how I looked and hated how I felt, you know, uh, yeah. And I had to change that. I had to change it to a, a love-based approach of, you know, this is how I love myself. And this is how, this is self-care. This is self-love. This is how, how I treat myself the way I deserve to be treated. And, uh, and I had to apply that to the gym as well, even though it was going to be much more embarrassing, I felt. And I was also mm -hmm. worried about, you know, how all the, the you know, the, the gym rats, like the, the alpha males and alpha females, what were they going to think? You know, like we're all the, the gym guys going to be like, look at this fucking loser. And we're all the women going to be like, look, you know, like think that I was ugly and, and weak. Um, and I, and I, when I finally got myself to go, all I found was the opposite. I found a yeah. very welcoming and encouraging and kind environment at the gym, especially from all the, all the, the, the serious fitness men and women. You know, they were the yeah. ones that like wouldn't let me skip celebrating a milestone. Even if I was like, it's not a big deal. Stop. You know, they'd be like, no, no, no. Look what you did. You know, you added another plate or something like that, you know? Yeah. Which, which yeah. creates so, an environment that you feel safe to be in and that you want to be in. And, and that, I think that was a big part of why I kept going. Yeah. Because I was going to say, I was like, it, it feels more like, it's more like a movie thing, I think when you think of like going to the gym, you're necessarily out of shape and then people are going to judge. But I, just like you, my own experiences, like people are always supportive and, and I'll admit I've been the bodybuilder at the gym and all that stuff. And every time I see someone come into the gym that are maybe newer to the gym, I'm like, I'll go talk to them because I'm yeah. like, it's, it's, it takes a lot of efforts to just even go to the gym and be like, I'm gonna sign up. I'm gonna do this shit. Right. Versus the people are just going to stay at home and, and, and do nothing. So yeah. yeah, the gym, it's surprisingly a supportive place for the amount of like muscle and iron and sweat <laughs> in, yeah, in one is. spot. <laughs> yeah. So how was like, how was it changing your nutrition? Go for like you mentioned like cheeseburgers and kind of pizza. So now Adam's like, Hey, we're doing like low fat, high carb, whole food plan base. Well, yeah. I mean that, that gave me a lot more energy. Uh, and I just, I've, you know, it's, it's weird. Like at first it was really frustrating because, and I don't know, I'm not in the, the, the health and nutrition space. So maybe this message has changed, but the message that I was getting was, yeah, switch to a, a plant-based diet. You just eat whatever you want. 
(laughs) (laughs) Which I guess is true if you're already fit. But uh, like, you know, the brand, you remember the brand Engine 2, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I know they rebranded Plant Strong, but then they had this Engine 2 cereal that I loved. I loved it. But it was very, it was, it was dense in calories and fat because there was a lot of nuts and, 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 you know, and I remember wanting to eat it for for dinner. And my brother's like, no, you can't have that. And I was like, wait, why not? He's like, it's too much calories and fat for you to then go to sleep. I was like, but you said yeah. I could eat whatever I want. And he's like, yes <laughs> and no. <laughs> it's kind of productive, Adam. Yeah. So that, that became, that was a frustrating, that was the only really frustrating part. It was like, yeah. okay, okay, I made this and now I want to put avocado on it. He's like, eh, maybe don't. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I just said that to hook you into it. Eat whatever you want. But yeah. now there's a little few rules like, and guidelines. I mean, for someone like you, right? Who, uh, like when you get to the place where you're, you're, you reach your, your fitness goals and you, you know you're you're living a healthy active lifestyle avocado is not a problem right yeah it is if you are if, if you're dealing with chronic illness and obesity only in that like the the way to reduce fat is to reduce the intake of fat you know so it's not that avocado is bad i'm not trying to say that i'm saying it is counterproductive to losing weight when you are as obese as i was yeah the, there's a time in there's a time in place and you're right when you're when you've reached a certain level of fitness and your metabolism is a certain place, you can afford to eat a lot more food and things don't affect you as much yeah. as they do when you first first get started, for sure. Yeah. And um, I think that, that context gets lost sometimes in our health uh, and nutrition messaging, right? For is sure. oil bad, right? For some people, you know, for people yeah. that are in, in the situation that I was, I wanted to avoid oil. Because it's the highest concentration of fat and calories on the planet, right? But is it okay for someone to say as fit as, fit as you to have oil maybe once a day? Yeah. Your, your, your long-term overall health won't be affected by it. Yeah, it's yeah. you're right. Like the, the industry is trying to put out one message for yeah. everyone. But the thing is everyone is in different position, different health situation, different metabolisms, different body. Um, yeah, no, you're right. It's... That's why people, I think people are so confused when it comes to nutrition. Right? Of course. So I mean, go, like, if well, you can find a bookstore, if you can, I don't know whether they exist anymore, but just go to the health section. It's no wonder yeah, I'm well, confused. T- talk about bookstores. This is like off topic, but I heard that they're closing 106 locations of Barnes and Nobles. I love Barnes and Nobles. I just something about going into a bookstore and just like the paper and the feel and just like I choosing agree. it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like blockbuster. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. <laughs> This is super off topic, but I, th- I think it would be interesting. I told Ivy yesterday, we need to create our own. We're looking at buying land in Joshua Tree. I'm like, we need to buy enough land to build our own town where we bring it back to like the 80s or 90s. Where oh like there's God. a blockbuster, there's a bookstore, and there's like dial-up internet where like things aren't ex- as accessible. and You can get like slow down a little bit. Oh, my God. I would live Jesus. there 100%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, as much as they're great tools, like obviously for the podcast and social media and all that, like I love just not being on my phone and being completely disconnected. I miss Blockbuster. There's something special about going to the store and just being like, ah, it's special because you have to pick the movie and you got to bring it home and you have to return it after. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, and and then the tangent, we love, I'm like, (laughs) I'm like 50 years old inside. I love this stuff. Uh, I definitely want to talk about kind of like your, your activism. When, when did that kind of, transition from you had your own transformation 
to now going into more activism, which ultimately kind of tied in the filmmaking side of things later on. Yeah, uh, I was at SoCal Veg Fest with with Adam. Adam was speaking there, and uh, okay. he introduced me to uh, Jean Pierre, who is a a lifestyle a vegan lifestyle and fitness uh, coach. He works with Walking Phoenix and and Ellen and all these. He's been doing it for like almost forty years, um, okay. and JP uh, said uh, told that he was going to this pig vigil that his friend uh, Sean Monson, who directed Earthlings, and Amy Jean Davis, Sean's partner, uh, were, were doing, and asked if I wanted to go. And I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what a pig vigil was or anything. But he also said that you know, Walking Phoenix was going to be there, and Moby was going to be there, and that's why I agreed to go because I, I wanted to meet those people. Yeah. Um, and I remember it was it was the next day and like that Sunday was just a normal Sunday. Uh, and then I was standing on the sidewalk outside of a slaughterhouse near downtown L.A. And that first truck came around the corner and the it brought the weight of its reality. Mm-hmm. with it. Um, and I remember standing in front of the truck. I've said this a lot, but I remember standing in front of the truck uh, filled with 200 six-month-old piglets, um, giving them water, looking at them, hearing them, touching them, smelling them. And I remember having this, this realization that I don't know what happens after I die, right? I don't, I don't know if, if, uh, if there's heaven or reincarnation or afterlife or whatever. I don't know. Um, I hope there is, but I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. but I do, here's, but what I do know is that I get to be here as this individual that I am right now once this individual gets one chance to create as much connection and, and, and purpose and love and kindness as I can in my life until my one chance is over. And when that first truck pulled into the gates of the slaughterhouse, I remember thinking, that for those 200 individual pigs, that was their one chance. And everything changed for me after that. And I went and talked to Sean Monson and I told him that I was a, that I was trying to be a filmmaker. And he asked me to uh, film one of the vigils. And I did, and I gave him the footage. And then he asked if I wanted to help him shoot his next movie. And that's how it kind of all got started. Beautiful. What was the next movie you helped him film? Uh, it was called The Agitators. Uh, it hasn't come out yet uh, just because of a certain people dropping out and, and, and adding these. So it hasn't, it hasn't come out yet. But that, that was my very first experience uh, as an animal rights filmmaker with Sean Monson was like a week later. And yeah. uh, he, we went to a, a beef slaughterhouse where they were slaughtering cows. Uh, and we were filming on the kill floor during halal slaughter. And he, he, he looks at me like when we get there, he's, he's like, hey, listen, this is going to be trial by fire for you. Uh, he's like, but I need you to have a poker face the entire time. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I, you cannot show any emotion um, because if people see us, like uh, employees, whether they know you're, you're allowed to be there or not, uh, so many employees, especially on border states like California, a lot of them, are uh, either undocumented or, or mm. at least 
new new like new citizens and and they this is a job that they they have because they have no options right yeah. so they they don't want to raise their voice they don't want to cause any trouble so they usually don't they see you whether they know you're supposed to be allowed to be there or not they don't say anything but yeah. if you are crying they might you know they'll so know you're you, not supposed to be there yeah yeah i must so, be hard yeah though. and i, I that that was that was I, afterwards i gave him my footage and i like i basically i told him and everyone i was like don't don't call me you know and, and yeah. i i hold up in my apartment for like two weeks which is the last thing i should have done i didn't know how to deal with it um yeah I, you know, well, I should have just i should have just told sean i was like hey can i just come over and watch a movie or something you know yeah yeah, well, it's a lot to process. Not a lot of people get to see that firsthand, right? Yeah, it's it's certainly it's in you know in halal slaughter and kosher slaughter as well, which is not a, a captive bolt. It's, it's, they cut their throat with a knife, uh, and yeah. it's and it's very gruesome. You know, I feel like that's worse. It is. I worse. feel like that's slow it's death. It's one hundred percent worse. And both yeah. halal and kosher, uh, you know, I, I'm Jewish. And I was always told that, you know, you're told by your rabbi that like kosher is kind. They say that a lot. Uh, yeah. And it's not because they're trying to hide anything. They don't know either. I guarantee you they don't. I guarantee you that they haven't gone to see what, how it happens. They just want to believe it's true. Yeah. And you want to believe that whoever your spiritual leader is, is a good person. And they are. They don't know, you know. Yeah. And so you just accept it. Yeah. Like most people. Yeah. Most people don't have access to that. I have seen that. I've. I've. Uh. I've never been to more of like an, an industrial setting, um, but I did grow up on a farm where we had cows, we had chickens and geese, and we kind of like, we killed our own animals for meat back then, which is a big reason also I'm, I'm vegan now. But yeah, I can't even imagine seeing that on, on such a large scale, like so many animals. So, you know, you mentioned you went back to your apartment for two weeks, but I know for a fact that you went back out because you continued to do more work after so I did, how many yeah. yeah yeah so what got you to kind of like go back into it uh yeah i you know they they had we had vigils every week and so uh i, I even though i had hold up in my apartment i was still going to the vigils okay. uh and uh i was taking photos of the pigs when i was there and the photos were they were pretty good and uh, i talked to amy uh, who was the founder of LA Animal Save, Sean's partner at the time. And I asked her, I was like, is there any way I can like be a part of this? And, you know, and she made me an organizer and I organized pig and chicken vigils uh, every week uh, for seven years. Okay. Yeah. Did you ever, um, we just had a podcast come out with uh, Alexandra Paul. You familiar? Sure, with I know her? Alexandra. Yeah, so her podcast just came out today when we're recording. So, um, but yeah, we talked about how she got arrested and stuff. Was that with you guys? She didn't get arrested with us, but uh, uh, she has rescued a chicken with me before. Okay, yeah. nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th awesome. I've been lucky to rescue. I've rescued personally over 100 animals uh, off of slaughter oh, trucks. So, which nice. is like, I don't know if I could have done it for seven years if I wasn't also doing that. Yeah, where so I'm, I'm assuming there's like a bunch of I do you keep them in LA in animal sanctuaries. Like, how does that work? What what happens with the animal after you guys yeah. save them? 
So first, I have to I find a sanctuary that has room. I won't we won't take it an animal if we have nowhere for them to go. Okay. Um, and so a lot of them went to sanctuaries like Love Always Sanctuary, which is Amy's Amy Jean Davis her sanctuary. Uh, uh, others went to like uh, Kindred Spirits Care Farm. They were the first sanctuary to take our first three chickens. Uh, okay. And then other places like Little uh, Little Bitty Animal Sanctuary, which is uh, in Ranchita which is kind of a drive, but, uh, yeah. The good thing about chickens is that like if a sanctuary has chickens, adding one more doesn't really add to their, their operation costs, you know? Yeah. Um, the only problem is that mo a lot of sanctuaries zoning will only let you have so many roosters, okay. um, because of noise. Uh, yeah. and it's, like I can be 80% sure if a chicken is a rooster or a hen, but you can't be 100% sure until they either lay an egg or crow because yeah. some hens have a big comb and waddle, even though they're not supposed to. And, and some roosters have a very small comb and they're supposed to have a big one, you know, so you yeah. can't really, can't really know. And that's when it gets yeah. hard. Okay. So what are, what are, you mentioned, I think two, three of them. What are the ones in LA that people can come and see? Come uh, and there are and still some at uh, Love Always Sanctuary, and there's still a few uh, at uh, Kindred Spirits Care Farm. Okay. I've never yeah. been to one in L.A. yet. I've only been to some of them in uh, in B.C. and Vancouver, where I was living. But I'd definitely love to come and check some down, down here. Yeah. It's the, you definitely should. Yeah. It's the first time I ever played with a cow. Because, you know, growing up on a farm, the cows were for, like, meat and dairy. And so when I got to the animal sanctuary, they had, like, a big beach ball. And I was playing like fetch. The cow was like jumping yeah, sideways. And I like they did. They bounced like a dog and jump. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, it was like a really big dog. And I was like, holy shit. I've never, you never see that behavior from a cow, of but I feel not. like you can tell that the animals in a sanctuary, like they know they're free. Like that. They, they know that you, they act differently when they're in an environment where they're not as stressed. And it Absolutely. shows def definitely. Like I was like, I looked at it. I was like, that's a happy cow. You can tell in its eyes. You can tell in it's like, yeah, there's a big difference. And it's, it's really interesting. You know, chickens are treated horribly. I mean, they all the animals yeah. are, right? But chickens, yeah. like Sean and I have been inside factory chicken farms. And we've, we've been inside where uh, either our respirators, we didn't have them or it wasn't working. And we yeah. could last in there about 15 minutes before our throats were on fire because the ammonia is so hot. Smell yeah, we had yeah, chicken and that ammonia before, level gets so smells. high sometimes that the chickens it'll burn their eyes blind. Like those are the oh, and, wow. and in fifty days, like that's yeah. the, those are the conditions that they live in. Uh, yeah, and every chicken I've rescued, within eight hours, they are just cuddle bugs. They just yeah. trust you, you know, even though they have no reason. They have every reason not to trust me as a human being. Yeah, you know. And it's, it's really, it's, uh, it's heartbreaking, you know? Yeah. And, and I think it's for people listening, it's, it's an, ex, it's something to experience an yeah. animal that's in a sanctuary that is, that knows that it's free. It definitely acts very differently and it definitely changes. Obviously seeing the slaughterhouse is one thing that will change your perception about consuming animal products. But to me, being an animal sanctuary is like just kind of reconfirmed everything even more because like, wow, that's how they would act. That's how they would be if we didn't come in and try to eat them. Um, yeah. Yeah. So just an invitation for, for people to go and check that out. Absolutely. Um, I love to talk about, uh, when I was doing a bit of research into the work that you did, I saw you worked on a show called peeled, which is a vegan cooking competition show. 
Ivy yeah. and I love watching like cooking shows and like, there's not a lot of like vegan ones. So we don't watch too many of them, but I never knew that there was a fully vegan one. So how, how was it working on that? Yeah, that was, that was an interesting shoot. Uh, I was just hired as a, as a cinematographer. Uh, I had nothing to do with like the, the creation of the show or anything like that. Um, yeah. And I believe that we, we shot one episode, I believe it's on Unchained Network. Okay. Uh, which is Jane Velez Mitchell's network. Um, yeah. Full disclosure is it's like you, you, not a, not a great show. Like you. <laughs> okay. I haven't watched. I got. I watched their preview. I was just so happy that there was a vegan cooking competition. Yeah, it, it's not going to be a show. Okay, a that's why there's only one episode. Yeah. Okay. Well, what what are other projects that you worked on? I think there was like a travel cooking one. I think you did a few episodes of that as well. I did that. That so I I my. After working with Sean for a little bit, I, I produced my own vegan travel show uh, with a friend of mine, Ali Eisman, who was the host. And we went to okay. Israel and Ireland, and we did uh, episodes on vegan food and culture in other countries because that's what I was. I, I love to travel. I've always loved to travel, and I wanted to know what what the vegan experience was like in other places than LA, you know, or other yeah. places than, than the United States. Uh, so I went to Israel, which was the highest vegan per capita country in the world. And then yeah. I went to Ireland, which, you know, from everything that I have heard, they're very far behind on all cuisine. <laughs> okay. So I kind of wanted to like book in like two opposites on the spectrum of like how, how their vegan like culture is going. And uh, yeah, that yeah, was a lot of fun. Uh, so who, who, someone told me, I, when did you go to Ireland to film that show? That was, would have been like 2016, I think. Okay, because someone told me that they went somewhere around there. I, I, I thought it was Ireland, but they're like, dude, there's vegan food everywhere. Yeah, there is. Like, it's everywhere. Okay. I mean, yeah, every culture has vegetables, you know, it, it, you know except for maybe, I don't know, the, the Inuits that, that in, yeah. in northern Alaska or, you know, maybe they don't. And, and I know that, that that's just because everything's frozen. Uh, it makes sense. <laughs> so like, people had asked me, like, well, what are you going to eat when you go here? What do you? Eat? I was like, everyone, everywhere has vegetables. Every culture yeah. has vegetables. It's fine. Uh, yeah. Israel and is very and legumes. easy. Yeah, Israel is very easy to be vegan. Uh, I talked to even some of the the members of the IDF, and they have like vegan options in their military. Uh, and then in, in Ireland, there was a lot less options, but it was cool because like the 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 people who had restaurants uh, knew that even though it was a competitive, like they were competing, they, they, they yeah. were stronger with more of them. So while yeah. like, so they would recommend each other, you know, when I would get there, like, Oh, have you, have you gone here? Have you gone here? Have you gone here? You know, it was very cool. Yeah. Definitely not something you see in America for sure. No. Yeah. So um, just to kind of go back on this. So Adam made you move here. From LA, which I didn't know Adam lived in LA before, and then he left you, and he just went to Texas. He did, yeah. Ah, oh, unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, talking about LA, what are some of your favorite spots that you like to eat at? Um, I was trying to remember the name of the one we we had dinner at last time. Oh, that was uh, the ramen place. I can't remember. It has a weird name. Okay ramen something uh, yeah but what are some of your your go-to's i know i know love life was on there 
Um, I wish it was still open because I freaking love their their dishes. It's so good. Yeah, uh, Little Pine was one of my favorite places. Uh, it's not L- here Little Pine. Anymore. Little Pine. Uh, Little Pine. That was Moby opened it and then he sold it uh, right like right after the pandemic or right during the pandemic. Uh, and my fr- friend of mine, Steve Bellamy, purchased it. Uh, and so, but like some of my favorites right now are like, um, I think the best is, uh, Pura Vida. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, either. I think, you know, they're all Italian. They have a, a restaurant in West Hollywood and in, uh, uh, Redondo beach. And I think their food's incredible. Um, yeah. Planta is great. Uh, is there a planta here? There is. There's two now. There's one in, uh, Marina and one in Brentwood. Oh shit! I've only had one uh, in in Miami. I've never, I've never tried. Yeah, one. yeah. There's like thirteen or fourteen worldwide. They're in Toronto is where they started, and then there's a bunch in the U.S. now too. Um, okay. The one in in Brentwood just opened, and I think the okay. one in Marina opened last year. Oh, nice. Uh, okay, so yeah, Planta really Pura Vida in there. Uh, Nick's on Beverly is good. I like Nick's. It's pizza, right? Is it pizza no, Nick, well, it's 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 they have pizza, and their pizza is awesome. But they have, it's it's Italian and it's like a kind of a fusion of other things. But yeah. Okay, I think Nimai told me about that one. It's like they yeah. have good pizza. That's why I thought about pizza. Pura Vida has a pizza restaurant also, and their pizza is really good too. But the best pizza in the world, that, the place that ruined pizza for me, uh, is called Purezza in London, and it's all ve- it's all vegan. It started by these Italian guys, uh, and they won best pizza in Europe. Not best vegan pizza in Europe. They want best pizza in Europe as a vegan. Oh, wow. And I ate there and now every pizza I have is just okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and pizza is my favorite thing in the world. I think it's the greatest culinary achievement in human history. And now like nothing compares to Purezza. I've got to go back. <laughs> oh, I definitely want to try that out. I know there's, there's a lot of vegan restaurants in London, right? It's pretty London's like, vegan my favorite friendly. vegan food city. It's incredible. I remember I went there a long time ago when I was like in my early twenties before I was vegan and I hated the food. I, I, it was awful. Uh, yeah. and I went back in like 2018 and every place and I was vegan, obviously, and every yeah. place was incredible and there were so many options. Yeah. And like these friends of mine, they, they started a place in Brixton called blank coffee. Uh, and it's a, I, I found it by mistake. I, I was up at like six in the morning and I was staying near Brixton and I was just looking for a coffee shop that was open and they were like in walking distance. So I was like, Oh, I'll just go here. Not knowing what it was. And it's the best brunch I've ever had in my life. And they make it all there. It's it's incredible. Yeah. I'll put that on my list for London. Another one I heard is uh, New York apparently is, is pretty good when it comes to vegan spot. New York. Yeah. Yeah. Was it, wasn't a documentary, the new one, with the uh, with Nimai, you you are what you eat or something on Netflix. Oh yeah, Did you see that? One? I haven't was, seen it. Is yet. it? Oh, okay, they talked about. Uh, is it eleven? Eleven. Eleven Madison, Madison Park. Yeah, so they went yeah. fully vegan and a few Michelin stars still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're one of the best restaurants in the world. Yeah, yeah. We're, I yeah, definitely they, told Ivy we're gonna go there this year. They closed down, you know, during the pandemic, and when they opened back yeah. up, they opened back up as a plant based restaurant. <laughs> Yeah, which I'm, is amazing because they were already one of the number one restaurants in the world. And I'm sure a lot of people were like, what are you doing? Yeah, you know? well, 
I think it's in the document. They got a lot of backlash from it, right? It's like it's going to crash. And um, yeah, I'll definitely, I want to try to get that chef uh, on the show because like what goes through your mind when you're already at the top and you're like, let me just go in this completely different. I'm happy he did because yeah. I feel like there's not a lot of fine dining for, for vegan. There's not. Um, I, I feel like I was talking to uh, there oh, is in London. Though. There's a place called Gautier Soho. Uh, Chef yeah. Gautier runs it. And it's, 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 it's incredible. Okay. Cause I feel like that one 11 would be Alvin Madison would be one. And I think the only one I was told is like, obviously crossroads here is, is nicer, but I heard yeah. the crossroads in Vegas is a lot better. Oh, okay. I haven't uh, been to the one in Vegas. Yeah. I was always like, it's like a proper super chic restaurant here. It's, it's, it's nice. You, you can dress nice and kind of go there. Yeah. It you know nice any... it's, a, it's a, it's a place to dress up for a date and things like that. And, you know, and celebrities go there. So, you know, you might see somebody. So. Yeah. Well, I met, I met, uh, Travis. Oh, Travis um, Parker. Yeah. I met him at uh, Mac and Sushi in Agora Hills. Oh, he it's my just... favorite sushi place. <laughs> uh, we went there yesterday, last night. It's so good. Yeah. We go there once a week. They know us by name now. They're like, you guys want the same thing? I was like, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Spend way too much money there. Those are, they're, they're awesome sushi. They're great. But man, you don't, you don't come out of there under a hundred bucks. Oh yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> for two people. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I had another question for you. Is like, what is something that people don't know about you that you love to share with people? Uh, I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm pretty open. Uh, That's I don't okay know if you don't I, have anything. Cause I, I obviously talk about photography, filmmaking, like a activism, you kind of, your, your transition. Um, but yeah, I just want to like leave the floor if there's something that, that comes up. I love boxing. Hmm. I, I love it. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, um, nice. What? Ever since you I was and Adam kid, ever box. Yeah, we did. And we were junior okay. Olympians. Uh, oh, wow. Um, and we grew up, you know, thinking that Mike Tyson was a superhero. Uh, <laughs> I'm still a huge Mike Tyson fan. Um, but yeah, I, I absolutely, I still box. I love boxing. Oh, beautiful. I, I thought about taking it up because, you know, it got really popular on YouTube for a bit. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, it must be fun to kind of learn to box. And then I remember every time I've done martial arts in the past, and I got like a hit to the head, how much my head was like shaking. And I was like, man, but I do not want to take a hit to the head at all. <laughs> you can do boxing and, and martial arts without actually fighting anybody. You but know. I feel like that's the part that's the part that it, it appeals me about it. Yeah. It's like the, just like the raw masculine thing of just like fighting, but I don't want to get hit in the head. So I either I have to be really good and never get hit or I just <laughs> I, take it I, slower. I love the mastery involved of like of throwing perfect punches and like because most people will say, oh, power comes from your hips or, you know, things like which is which is part of it. But uh, like power for punches comes from your toes uh okay and like when you feel everything work like transitioning the power from your big toe on your back foot all the way up your leg shifting it from your hips snapping it through your shoulder and connecting it to your fist like when it, all that works perfectly oh it's like it's it's just one of my favorite things <laughs> nice i i can i can kind of figure out what that feels like for me i used to play basketball 
yeah. when that ball goes in the net perfectly and you just hear the little swoosh like you don't touch like anything that. like i get yeah. that feeling yeah yeah i get it i get it. it's like yeah. that was that was perfect <laughs> yeah <laughs> i want everything to every shot every hit i take to be like this exactly yeah um awesome and so yeah uh one last question for you like what, what are some of the projects that you're working on that people can uh show some support or can uh, people can learn right more now, about what you're doing working on uh, a book so I'm doing a book of photography of the seven years I spent documenting animals in transition to slaughterhouses. So okay. uh, in, in uh, transport trucks and arriving at slaughterhouses. Um, and uh, I've been helping Sean here and there do a documentary about Dr. Michael Greger and his book, How Not to Die. So yeah. uh, I just saw like the first, I was just at Sean's house uh, yesterday and he showed me the first like 10 minutes of it. So that was cool. So, nice. Yeah. So I, 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 that's going to be, I don't know when that's going to be coming out, but uh, it is going to be coming out. So. Okay. Well, when it comes out, let me know. We'd love to promote it. Okay. Um, Cause I know, I know a lot of my, my audience loves Dr. Gregor and probably has a copy or two of every single book that he's ever written. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So how can people stay tuned for like your book? Where can they find more information? Those would be like your Instagram website. Yeah, my Instagram. So it would be at Bobby Sud. Uh, okay. Is my Instagram. Uh, I'm Robert Sud on Facebook. Um, I post, so I do, I'm almost exclusively Instagram. Uh, and like things get posted on Facebook because they post immediately to Facebook from Instagram. So that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Instagram is the best way to get in, like to get in touch with me or follow me. Okay, perfect. Well, I'll put yeah. the link to your Instagram down below so it's easier for people to click. So if you're on podcast platform, YouTube, the link will be right there. Okay. Go follow Bobby. Uh, if you have questions for him, so they can just reach out. If they're looking for different organizations to work with or projects to kind of bring you on. Um, and Bobby, I always like to end on like words of wisdom. What is something that you've kind of learned in your past seven years of activism and, 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 vegan, and nine years of veganism that you like to pass off to the audience? Uh, be kind because it's humanly possible. That's Beautiful. It. Yeah. Short and sweet. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. Well, Bobby, thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. I'm happy we got to connect uh, on a longer time frame. At dinners, it's always like a bunch of people and a little yeah. bit of back and forth. So I'm happy we got to have a deeper conversation. Me too. Thanks. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. What? Well, People needed to hear your story. I learned a lot from you. Obviously, you, at dinners you talk, but I definitely got to learn a lot more about you. And well, so usually, people... like if we're if we're having dinner, it's like it's it's you and my brother and other like fitness guys, and I'm just like, you guys hear about animals? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you guys look at me like, no, dude, we're talking about this. <laughs> we're talking about macros and protein. And... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i'm happy we got to connect i know the audience really enjoyed it as well and so for the people listening thank you very much for tuning in go check out uh, bobby's instagram subscribe like do everything you need to whatever platform you're listening on and we'll see you guys in the next episode bye thanks thank you for listening if you enjoyed the episode be sure to rate the podcast as it helps us grow and spread our message and if you know this will help and resonate with someone be sure to send it their way so that they can have the opportunity to level up their life as well